When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm so excited to talk about this because I feel like a you and I really thrive when we break down something that went wrong. We are in our wheelhouse right now. B to double down on that statement. Poor concert planning is another thing that you and I have a great history with. Yes. So. And boy, are we talking about that today. I should also say, hey, everybody. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Pretty Scary. Pretty Scary Boo. Carrie? Characteristic. Ooh. Silence. Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> their name's Carrie. It's almost like you're a comedian. I, I workshop that one a bit before I, can tell. I, can I, tell. I let people hear it. How are you doing, Caitlin? Uh, I'm really good. Me too. Yeah, I'm great. I um have some time off right now, which is nice. Yeah. I have had uh just kind of a crazy work schedule for a long time, so I've got some downtime, which of course I'm now filling with projects. <laughs> yeah. That's the it, end of the year is always a little slow for me and now I'm just like working on doing all kinds of crazy stuff yeah. to to fill more time. Yeah. But we're filling time today. I'm I am very excited to talk about this. Me too. We are talking about the Rolling Stones infamous disastrous concert at Altamont Speedway in Northern California. It's happened in 1969 and this week as we record this cuz I think this is coming out next week, but as we record this 50th anniversary this week. And they're all still alive. <laughs> they every single one of them is still alive because Brian Jones was dead by this time. 50 years ago. This is yes. not 20 years ago. This is not 40 50. years ago. This is this happened 50 years ago. I saw the best tweet the other day when they said, uh, it's weird that 1990 was 20 years ago because 1980 was also 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, it kind of feels that way. Um, so, And I think that that has to do with, uh, I think it has to do with, the amount of access to pop culture we have, like right. we are really living in some way, especially since we're not interacting personally with each other much more anymore. We are living in this like simultaneous reality of multiple timelines. Yeah. And so when you hear that this was 50 years ago, it's jarring. It is. Because especially in the Rolling Stones are on tour right now, <laughs> which is also jarring. And it's, it's 50 years ago, but it's also shockingly relevant in a few different ways. For one, this is your prototype for the fire festival. This was a hastily organized mess that everyone involved should have known not to do, but they just talked it up so much. They had to fucking go through with it. And unfortunately, because there are not two competing streaming services, we're not, we don't have, (laughs) 
<laughs> multiple postmortem on this other than the one great documentary. There's a really great documentary about this called Gimme Shelter, which shockingly Rolling Stones sanctioned. Like the, the documentary itself is actually about that entire tour they were on that summer. And that tour is important because it's the reason this concert happens because the Rolling Stones were in all this financial trouble and they embarked on this U.S. tour to make money to pull out of it. And people were like, cool, but those tickets are really expensive. And so then Mick Jagger, like 10 days out, goes, we'll hold a free concert in San Francisco. Whoops. Definitely on drugs. Uh, everyone involved in this is on drugs is on a lot of drugs. Do you think, do you think at any point, and I feel like your answer to this is going to be absolutely yes. Do you think at any point in the planning of this concert, somebody raised a point of contention and the immediate response was, let's just do it and be legends. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. 100%. Just checking. There's actually a quote from Mick Jagger. That's really similar. Yeah, there is. Well, we'll get to it. Yeah. But I just, I I wanted to, you know, for, for the people waiting for somebody to say that for the people at home. Now here's what this, I I just want to, a couple things to emotionally prepare you for this disastrous concert does not involve shark infested waters. No, which I could still hear in my head hear you saying in my head occasionally and I will laugh out of nowhere because it just it sounds funny to hear Adam say shark infested waters in my head it's almost worse <laughs> what happened what's, well, I was, what's I was building swimming that. around I was, at all I was building to that but yeah so there's no shark infested infested waters nope there is no lettuce cheese sandwich N- absolutely not it, at all tomorrow exactly <laughs> um there are no inflatable mattresses there's no jaw rule there is no jaw rule um, I mean, there's a Keith Richards, which is mm. actually a limited number of black people. And it doesn't, it, it's, it shows. Yeah, it really horror is. Horror movie like, stereotypes are at play uh-huh. at um, Altamont. And I also just want to note that there is one similarity, which is there is no shelter in either of these documentaries. No, despite one of them being called Gimme Shelter. Neither of them provide adequate shelter for anyone. No. So there is there is that one overlap. But yeah. if you guys are hoping for those repeats, I don't know what to tell you. However, as Adam said, weirdly, uh, that's worse. <laughs> yeah. Somehow Firefest did a little better. Yes, because... If I recall correctly, no one died. You have that. At Firefest, whereas right. four people died. Body count of four. At Altamont. And well, like two of them, obviously, I think were drug overdoses. Yeah. And there's a third one that uh, we're going to get to the fourth one, which is the biggie at the end. But yeah. there's a third one. A guy was high on LSD and drowned in a canal on his way to the show. So there still is a body of water involved. Yes, of course. Yeah. I mean, because all disasters need water. And well, drugs. this was the late 60s. California still had water back then. Oh, wow. What a time to be alive. Yeah. I don't know what that's like. And the, the other really weird parallel here is... At, we're closing out a decade. Yep. Uh, the we still haven't come up with a name for it. The twenties. Yeah. Oh no. The na- oh what we no the teens the, we got the, nothing. The teens. Yeah. No. And this happened fifty years ago. But the similarities between the sixties and the tens are insane. I know. We. I agree. We, Let's just start. I guess. But I. <laughs> yeah. Let me, I'll just run through them. We started the decade with lots of hope on the left. Mm-hmm. In the 60s, it was Kennedy, 2010s, Obama. Big uptick in government surveillance yeah. during that time, Yeah, yeah. weirdly enough. Strange. Lots of dead activists. 
right now it's like Ferguson activists. There's two Flint activists who are dead. Nipsey Hussle back then, obviously MLK, Malcolm X, uh, Fred Hampton, which might be the craziest. Fred Hampton is the craziest. Yeah. They shot him in bed. <sighs> oops. <laughs> With a sniper. There was no oops. I just. It's fucking nuts. Have we covered that? No, but we should. We should cover the Black Panthers in general because that is pretty scary. Definitely end up on a. Oh, yeah. We're, we'll get murdered over it. Cool. There's also a growing movement on the left that is gradually being accused of being terrorists. Whoops. Which is Antifa right now, and that's uh-huh. kind of a crazy claim. In the late 60s, it wasn't as crazy, because as you move into the 70s, that becomes like the golden age yeah, of domestic terrorism in the U.S. They had more ground to stand on right. in, in the 60s. There was genuinely, like, you went from commune to cult to domestic terrorism. Right. Like, it just went there. And their brand of terrorism was wait till everyone leaves and let's blow up this government building. Yeah. Which if you worked at that government building and you get to work the next day, you're like, bomb day. Here we go. Going to the beach, baby. Yeah. Thank you leftists. And now we're ending the decade with one of the most historically corrupt presidents of all time in office, just like we did the sixties. You think hopefully there's an impeachment parallel or at least a leaving office parallel. Oof, there won't be. We'll see. No, I don't. And if there is, uh, God, I don't, I don't, well, that's a whole other episode. I'm, I'm not hopeful. Let's, All right, Altamont, let's just talk about it. So, so that was the 60s. <laughs> this is the 2010s. <laughs> and now we're talking about Altamont, God damn it. Oh man, I can't wait. This, I think, is, I think this is worse than the fire festival. The only thing that's not worse is they didn't charge for tickets. But that's also why 300,000 people showed up. I don't know. I, I have to think about that. We'll talk about it at the end. Yeah. I, I, you, I could see the argument there. Yeah. So like I mentioned already, the Stones were on tour throughout most of the summer. They missed Woodstock, uh, which was a big thing. Uh, they were getting all these accusations about their tickets being too expensive, which 69, they were probably like $15 or something adorable like that. <sighs> And that is what sets up this idea for a free concert. They want to earn some goodwill back from the American people. I feel like they're trying to prove that they're still rock and roll. I mean, the basic, to me, the basic thing was, we're still cool. Yeah. And it's, there's even some dispute as to whose idea this was initially. Like, there's people from Jefferson Airplane who are like, no, it was our idea first. And then the Rolling Stones signed on. And... Doesn't matter. Well, <laughs> like, I'm sure Jefferson Airplane was pretty happy to be like, oh, no, it was a Rolling Stones concert. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure by the end they were like, fucking Mick Jagger, yeah. am I right? Whoa. Jesus, whose idea was this? Man, cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, what matters is that this was a fiasco and they should have recognized that It's the that perfect right word away. for what it is. Yeah. It is a fiasco. And... There's a quote from Grace Slick, who was the lead singer of Jefferson Airplane, one of the lead singers. They were a co-lead singer band. And I think this this sums up pretty well what, especially if you watch Gimme Shelter, you can see it. Because in retrospect, some of it has to do with we know how it ends. But there's just this sense of foreboding watching that documentary. You're yeah. like, there's so many points where you're like, don't. Just stop. Don't do this. Yeah. And they do it. Don't make the Titanic go faster. Right. Don't do it. 
but they do. But they do. Ah, uh, Mick. I blame this all on Mick Jagger for some reason. This is uh, <laughs> Grace Slick's quote. The vibes were bad. Something was very peculiar. Not particularly bad, just real peculiar. It was that kind of hazy, abrasive, and unsure day. I had expected the loving vibes of Woodstock, but that wasn't coming at me. This was a whole different thing. Okay, so I like this quote because on a incredible, like infinitesimally smaller scale, I've experienced this at comedy shows. When you walk in and you're like, uh oh, do you know what I'm talking about? Where it's Absolutely. like the audience is not cool. Right. Like, you're not supposed to blame the audience ever. That's but, bullshit. But though. I would say 15% of the times that I have bombed, it was the audience. <laughs> I know when I've bombed and it's me like, oh, I wasn't prepared oh, or absolutely. whatever. But sometimes you walk in a room and you're like, oh, these people really suck. Yeah. Everyone here this, fucking this sucks. This is going to hurt. Yep. This is really going to hurt. Yeah. I just, so I know, yeah. I know that feeling. I know it so well. The lineup was impressive. Yeah. Uh, I sometimes mean, it just doesn't I mean, matter. If you're talking to your dad, this is the lineup. Yeah, this is a very like, in, in, in uh, the 20 teens ter- uh, world. <laughs> this is a very Tommy Bahama lineup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and what's crazy is you can still, with the exception of like one of these bands, you can still see some yeah. amalgamation of all yeah. of these bands on tour right now. Santana, Jefferson Airplane, the Flying Burrito Brothers, funny name, but maybe the best band on the lineup, CSNY, The Grateful Dead. And the Rolling Stones. The Flying Burrito Brothers, you'll never see again. Graham Parsons died. That would be a fun, pretty scary, too. His friends took his body and burned it in Joshua Tree. I love that story. Yeah. I love that story. The Grateful Dead were supposed to play, but they didn't. That's fine. More on that later. Yeah, absolutely (laughs) fine, too. I don't care about it. I would have been like, cool, I'm taking a nap. Wake me up when the Stones are on. No, they, I mean, you could fill a concert with the amount of time that they wouldn't have taken up. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That also, I just, it's such dad band music. Like growing up in Huntington Beach, everybody had a band. Not unlike today when everyone has a podcast, everybody had a band. Yeah. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that there, somebody always had a, there was always a dad in the friend group that, you know, was like super into these bands as a young person and, and forced all of this music on all of their kids. And every year on the 4th of July, Huntington Beach, it's a big time for Huntington Beach. It's like our thing. And if you go to downtown Huntington Beach, the surrounding neighborhoods, you know, everybody's barbecuing outside. Right. And there are on every on every block, you find a dad band and they are either playing uh, Steely Dan. Of course. The Grateful Dead. Santana. Yeah. The Rolling Stones. And then the Beatles, because of course. Yeah. The Grateful Dead. I've just never... I think it's hilarious when anybody bothers to cover the Grateful Dead because all I ever have heard of for the Grateful Dead in concert is it is a full jam band. You, you're not, you know. Yeah, like, I mean they've got a few decent songs. Like every band that size has a few songs. I assume even Fish has a few good songs if, that I've just never heard and will never yeah, hear no, no, in my entire life. No. But the Grateful Dead, like I just like I associate. Here's the thing: I smoke a lot of weed. You do. But I'm not a weed person. I got you. Like, I don't like I don't know when people make, I, I don't, well, I don't like, like, you don't see me hanging fucking weed banners around the house. You're not a fan. 
I don't know you to be like a hardcore fan of anyone. You're not a tchotchke guy. Well, like you don't let things. I mean, I like bands. You I like, like the coat that, hangers and Mariah Carey and the drive-by yeah, truckers. Yeah, but you don't have like but, eleven bumper stickers and right. And know. I've I've always associated the Grateful Dead with people who just love acid too much. Yes, and I was going like, to say it's a drugs band. I don't know yeah. if it's even a weed band. It's like and Bob Marley to some extent too. But Bob Marley has songs. Like Bob Marley has yeah. a lot of really good songs. And the Grateful Dead just fucking noodle around on their goddamn guitar. Like shout out to Dark Star. That's a good song. <laughs> Uh, but I, for the most part, can't fuck with them. I I can't help but wonder how much an appearance of the Grateful Dead would have changed the vibe of what happened at Altamont though. That's a, that's a good point. And the the fact that they don't play becomes important too. Yeah. Because that crew is not the same as the Rolling Stones crew. It is. Uh, No. It is not the same as the Flying Burrito Brothers. It is. Right. It is an outlier in this group. Jefferson Airplane, you could make an argument, you know, feed your head. But yeah. anyway, we'll get to it. But I wanted to bring that up because I feel like... I think there's a few weird implications of them not playing. Yes. That maybe made things worse. Because I feel like at least if you had like a couple solid deadheads in there, at some point collectively throughout the crowd, they would have been like, hey chill yeah and then the grateful dead would have played for six hours and everyone would have fallen asleep fine crisis averted this is like a whole new season of Watchmen that we can uh so their first obstacle another parallel to the fire fest here finding a venue (laughs) and this is when they should have known that their first plan was san jose state university uh, San Jose State University had a practice field where they had just held a music festival that drew 80,000 people right. and went off without a hitch. Well oiled. The problem with using that space was they had just held a music festival that <laughs> held 80,000 people yeah. and had gone off without a hitch. Yeah. And they were like, we don't want another fucking one this soon. No. Like, we're good until next year, maybe. But also just maybe. from like an economic standpoint, like you've tapped your market. Yeah. The next idea was Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. Oh, God, that would have been so much worse. But a previously scheduled 49ers versus Bears game. Put the kibosh on that. Go Bears. Uh, It was then moved to Sears Point Raceway. You ever been? No, sir. Neither have I. (laughs) But, and this is... uh, I like, you know, that's like another nice thing we have in common. That we've never been? Yeah. I could tell. I think it's sweet. When I first met you, I was like, she's never she's been never to Sears been. Point Raceway. I had Raceway. that thought, too. I'm so glad you brought it up. Yeah. Man, okay. And I've I've always been a fuck Sears Point Raceway kind of guy. I have a shirt. The, the f- yeah. 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 Hell yeah. I mean, seriously, uh, fuck it. Fuck that place. <laughs> and here's the thing. They are sort of the villains in this story. <laughs> actually... Because, and this is, uh, there's a lot of footage of the phone calls <laughs> with these people in the Gimme Shelter documentary, oh, but they agree to this free concert and then they're like, all right, but we want $300,000 up front and we want distribution rights if you film it. And no one's going to no go one. for that. No. You know what? This is like the exact opposite of the documentary is um, the documentary of a Bill Clinton's campaign. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that. Really? With uh-uh. Stephanopoulos and everything? No. It's the opposite. Because in that one, it's like everybody's at the top of their game and you're watching people that, you know, you realize 40 years later would be big in yeah. their, like, you know, their cold calling days. 
and you're like, wow, this is how you really do something. And it this is similar, but backwards. This is the opposite. This yeah. is really how you don't do something. The war room. It's called the war room. It's really, really good. Because that at that point, when they decided Sears Point Raceway wasn't going to work, they should have been done. You know what they should have said? Fuck them. Let's just do it and be legends. Yep. And that is what they said. I know. Unfortunately. <laughs> R.I.P. Because people. they... They did. They just, they got, they like got, they all turn into little punky bitches. Yeah. And there's footage of them like amping each other up about it. Like you can. Yeah. They're like, like, yeah, we can do it. We can move it in a day. Sure. In a day. And that's how long they, they finally. With no internet. So I don't even know. (laughs) It's a worse idea in that respect somehow. And. what makes Sears Point Raceway especially douchey is they let everything be set up first, and then they make this demand for $300,000. Yeah. And the, the Stones call their bluff, and they're like, all right, fuck you, we'll move it. We're the Rolling Stones. We can do anything. So they, this businessman named Dick Carter, of course, <laughs> uh, offers up his space, Altamont Speedway in Northern California. And he's like, yeah, man, as many people as you need. There's fucking roads and there weren't roads. There were no roads. No road. Like people pulling up to this festival end up abandoning their cars on the road. (laughs) People psychologically need roads. They do. There's a reason why. To get places. Right. Because nobody uses compasses. Even I would say 50 years ago, that was not necessarily a thing. They had maybe a Thomas guide, which is problematic if you don't have roads. Exactly. Yeah. So he offers up his space and they decide on December 4th that this is where the concert is going to be held. And I have... Let's just do it. I have withheld this detail up to this point for that very reason. The concert was on December 6th. Oh my God. So not even two full days because they decided... I wouldn't plan a bar comedy show in two days. No! <laughs> at all like i have trouble like, scheduling podcast guests on that short notice i mean oh my god it's nuts and it wasn't even two full days they decided the night of december 4th that they were going to move everything to altamont speedway do you think it's because they were fronting all the money anyway and didn't care about the return it could have been like, do you think that's why they thought it didn't matter because it wasn't you know if the, if there had been admission and there was like and that's where I think this the Sears Raceway like really fucked up in their estimation of what they thought they could pull. Because had people purchased tickets and then they waited to that point and said something, they couldn't have moved it in two days. But because it was a free concert, and I think everybody on the with huge quotation marks business end of this production of this show, nobody was technically making any money. Yeah, because they were doing it for charity, right? Technically, technically. So, yeah, I think they just like probably assumed however it goes. It's it's literally the only thing that makes any sense. I guarantee you at at least one point in the negotiations, someone said the words, it's not like someone's going to die. Oh, definitely. Guaranteed. Yeah. Someone had to And it was probably a dude to a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Like I would, because I can like imagine myself in a past life being completely spun out and saying, guys, listen. I love this band as much as everybody else does. That's why I work for you. And that's why I'm telling you, this is a bad idea. And then someone turned to me and said, it's not like somebody's going to die. Or in this case, Mick Jagger's big famous oh. quote, his, his let's just do it and be legends. At one point when they're planning this and someone asks about 
toilets and food. <laughs> he says uh, logistical questions can be answered at a later date. And Which they, is actually like almost a word for word post from Firefest. Now that it, I think back, kind of yeah. What it's it, I have it, to think about it, but yeah, it's and it's like. <sighs> Okay, but are you going to answer them? Or? Because he's living in a world where if he had to take a shit, he would just say, I need someone to help me shit, and somebody would cup their hands and catch his shit. Right. That's literally, would not be surprised if that has happened in his life. I'm sure. Someone so, probably paid for the privilege. He doesn't understand that the average folk need a real toilet. Right. And I just, I love the idea of, oh, sorry, our ticket prices were so high. Here's a free concert that you can travel to from several parts of the country at your own expense uh, and come see us play that way. It's like, that's probably more expensive. I'm sure the Grateful Dead were like, yeah, it works. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> Good formula. Tried and true. So this, I think, might be <laughs> low key the most important detail. Basically what happened at Sears Point Raceway the stage would have been at the top of an incline. Yeah. Which you want to be above the crowd in some way. And yeah. being at the top of an incline was great. So they just built a stage that was 39 inches high for this show at Sears Point Raceway. And that would have been perfect. Yeah. They move to Altamont and now the stage has to be at the bottom of a slope, which means instead of like every if you've ever been in a big crowd especially at a concert there's like a push that happens from the crowd yeah like the crowd has momentum and if one person falls one way they're all gonna fall that way there's a reason why coachella is in the middle of the desert right and and that the hollywood bowl has guardrails yeah and be so being at the bottom of a slope on a 39 inch stage meant that one all of the audience's momentum was moving toward the stage and the stage was so low that like if everyone fell that people would just fall onto the stage like you could climb onto the stage pretty easily which be, which also becomes a huge problem at one point and it means the most dangerous place in the world to be are the best seats in the concert yes and Which is also really important. You can see it in the documentary. Yeah. The people in front, like, I can't imagine. The force. Yeah. Just, and then there's people in that audience, like, freaking out on acid and trying to get onto the stage. And they're just, like, grabbing people's heads. And it's fucking chaos. I went to a concert, my first, like, multiple day concert a long time ago. And we took a Winnebago to Tennessee. I think I've talked about it on the show before. It's called Bonnaroo. Yeah, you know, Bonnaroo, yeah, of course. The first Bonnaroo. I was the first Bonnaroo. Nice. I was also at the first Coachella, but which is so out of character for me. But yeah. It's true. Um, and I was such a young person, and I, I hadn't... The first time I ever smoked weed was on that trip. I had never smoked weed before. So That sounds right. We, yeah, that part sounds right. <laughs> the whole drug culture was just not something I had my head wrapped around whatsoever. And yeah. in my mind, we were going to a multiple day concert and staying there overnight. And how nice it is that we have a camper. I'm so glad we have a camper. And the first night when everybody was on a lot of drugs, I was like, thank God we have an RV. <laughs> because it just hadn't occurred to me what being in a group of people who were all experiencing drugs in different ways yeah. overnight would feel like. And it was scary as hell. Yeah. And so the next day when I was in a crowd of people on those drugs, I wouldn't, the first day I was like trying to get to the front of it. The second day I was like, no, I'm not doing this. And I would hang back. 
And then I watched Gimme Shelter a couple months later, and I was like, <gasps> "You made the right <laughs> I was decision." So scared. Yeah, get the the audience at this show like even more than like Woodstock '99, which was insane. Another episode we yeah, should do that would be another good episode to keep up on our concert series. Uh, <laughs> we're just the, like we're just like NPR now. Yeah, the concert series. Uh, but this audience. They're just so fucking high out of their mind. They're so everyone is fucked. They're so high up. Yeah. And now the Rolling Stones are faced with having to perform in front of this crowd on a stage that isn't big enough because there's no time to build a new stage. No. Because they have changed plans at the last minute. Oh my God. So when I was saying that, I don't know if that really is the most important detail. This might be the most important detail to uh, mitigate that problem instead of like, I don't know, buying fencing or something like or hiring legitimate security. Right. Okay. Instead of uh, employing security of any sort, they hire the fucking hell's angels. And not only do they hire the hell's angels to be their security, they pay them in five hundred dollars worth of beer that's five hundred dollars in 1969 money when beer was probably like a dollar a case so the why and there's all these like suggestions as to why this happened but like my favorite is that there is a version of the hell's angels in england that's just like a fan club they're just like a bunch of geezers with motorcycles who really like what the Hells Angels in California stand for and that they maybe had them confused with that uh, Hells Angels. But, but why if, would you hire them the, to do security? Yeah, like, why would you hire adult Boy Scouts? Right. And, and, and I don't buy that because no. everybody knew who the Hells Angels were, especially famous people. Yeah. For multiple reasons. And so, I, no. I mean, that's a great, that's great. And if they write a movie about it, that's definitely the story. Yeah, that would be funny because that'd be fun to watch. But and if you watch Gimme Shelter, the the shows they had right before this, they were having problems with people trying to get on stage. So I can imagine they were just like, "Fucking hippies aren't going to try and get through the Hell's Angels." And yeah, they did. This <laughs> they is why, sure did. This is why this story specifically is why I have never liked the Rolling Stones. I, 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 I can appreciate them as artists, right? but I don't, I don't, I've never rooting for these people no. because this is such a careless and, and, and there's so much hubris in that decision. Like it, it's such a douchey, like, Oh, let's just hire the fucking hell's angels and they'll regulate. No one's going to fight them. Not understand, not even thinking about the fact that these are probably mentally ill people like violent right. People who have killed people. Absolutely. And, and also, then to pay, pay them in alcohol. <laughs> that's the part. Is the part that makes me, it's like I was reading through these notes and I was like, that's right. That's why I don't, I just remembered why I don't like Mick Jagger. Now I remember. Yeah, that was. And now that's definitely why I was like, well, at least if I'm going to hang out with a band, I'd probably rather hang out with the Grateful Dead. Oh yeah, for than sure. Than the Rolling Stones. Yeah, totally. So Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? 300,000 people show up. Approximately 25 Hells Angels are on hand to keep... uh, uh, Were Mick Jagger's parents nice? Is that the problem? (laughs) Probably. Is that the problem? I'm sure they were. 
I don't know though. Because that would explain everything. Yeah, this like, was yeah. this was just a Is it just sketchy like a, move. Has he just had a series of green lights his whole life? Oh, probably. Well, even if not, at this point, like this is the Rolling Stones at their peak. Right. Like they're recording sticky fingers while this is happening. And that's like one of their most beloved it's a great albums. Album. It's a great album. And also this documentary is good for, there's a lot of decent performance footage in this. There's a Tina Turner performance yeah, that is it's great. fucking amazing. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to understand why somebody would have such a lack of connection to human vulnerability and safety. <laughs> Like, that's all I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, who knows? Anyway. He's Mick Jagger. What a fucking asshole. So the show starts, and uh, Santana goes on first, and Caitlin, guess guess how his set went? I can't think of, I can't think of what it could possibly ah, It went smooth. Oh! <laughs> oh, just like the song. Oh. Burr, burr, burr. Burr, burr, burr. I can't reach that that's thing. That's a funny joke. Thank you. Adam, somebody showed up to work today. Uh, this was one of two moments that went smoothly the entire day. The other was the, and I think this speaks to your point about the Grateful Dead not playing. When the Flying Burrito Brothers played, everyone was like, oh, this is chill. Yeah. Let's just watch this happen. Because uh, Graham Parsons, man. Fuck, go it's, listen to some Graham Parsons if you're unfamiliar. Something to watch. Yeah. It's interesting. And it, and, and it's it's fine. Also, I think at this point, nobody's as hungry as they eventually became. Right. Like, there's certain physiological things that begin to kick in that you can't avoid yeah, as the timeline like progressive. Because everyone brought drugs and alcohol and no food. After I leave a concert, which hasn't happened in a long time, I'm always starving. Because I haven't eaten in like four hours. And I've, right. you know, maybe chips, but there's definitely only been alcohol. Best that's time all... to get yourself a street taco. Exactly. Or Man. a street hot dog. Oh, with bacon? Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck. That's Hell awesome. yeah. But yeah, beyond Santana and the Flying Burrito Brothers, uh, this shit is a nightmare because you're not going to believe this. The Hells Angels spend all their time uh, drinking the $500 worth of beer and just sitting at the edge of the stage. And why wouldn't they? Yeah, that's what they're paid to do. And like when there's a really great, I think I ha we're going to play a clip of it, but in the documentary, there's a scene where Mick Jagger and Charlie Watts are listening to Sonny Barger, who is like, was like the leader of the Hells Angels at the time, talk about his, what he thought the arrangement was. And he's like, man, I'm not a cop. They told me to sit at the edge of the stage and drink beer and make sure no one got raped. Yeah. And he's like, we kind of did that. <laughs> Well, also, like, I mean, if you're in an organized gang that I know about, uh -huh. you've got to be a good, at least crafty business person. So you can't tell me that what they're like pirates. OK, it's like very simple. So if you're on a pirate ship and they're like, all I want is to be set free and they go, that's it. That's all you want. And you say, yes, they're going to throw you overboard because technically you're free. Right. So if if a pirate is asked to drink a bunch of beer and hang out and make sure nobody gets raped, that's all they're going to do. Yeah. It's, it's like not, a fucking algorithm. It's going to do what you tell it gonna, to do. But more importantly, it's not going to do something you didn't ask it to do. Right. Which I think is the hallmark of a criminal. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Like, no, I'm only I'm I'm a person that solely gets by on technicalities. I'm either going to be a lawyer or a hell's angels, but I am not going right. to I'm not going to go outside of my scope here. Yeah. On an agreement that there is no paperwork for. And yeah, the, the thing it like. So the hell's angels are a problem. But when you watch this 
documentary, the crowd's kind of a problem too, because it's oh, not, I, know. I, I agree with you. It's not just, and I'm not like, I'm just like uh, it's encouraging seen- people to watch the documentary basically. Cause you'll see like a lot of this gets blamed on the hell's angels and they have a lot of blame to take for it. And I don't know if the guy who does what he does at the end should have actually gotten off, but, uh, the, crowd is so it's not a woodstock crowd like you see clips of woodstock and those people are happy yeah they are even they're muddy even when it took Jimi hendrix until four in the fucking morning to finally go up they were happy these people are aggressive and angry and they're being presented with the hell's angels as security they're like a sea of pink ooze from ghostbusters too yeah yeah. I don't know another metaphor that fits better because it is a singular vibe that this documentary captures. It is going to go somewhere like this is this is building to something. And I also think it has to do with the attitude that people had towards the stones at the time. Yeah, I think they were pissed at the stones and they're like, you you better fucking believe I'm going to show up to a free fucking concert for you. You fucking asshole. You fucking genius. Fuck you. Like, yeah. that's what it feels like. Like, Kinda, yeah. the Flying Burrito Brothers are like, oh, hey, guys. Like, oh, that's a nice add-on. But when by the time the Rolling Stones... Anyway, go ahead. Just keep going. Well, the yeah, and, and I think you're right, because something happens when the Stones land that yeah. really speaks to that. But one of the things that the, the Hells Angels did that was an especially bad idea, they decide to park their motorcycles at the front of the stage. Oh my God. And if you've ever known anyone who was way into motorcycles, you fucking knock their motorcycle over. It's going to be a problem. The other thing I know for sure, your most expensive and prized possession, the best place for it is right at the front of a rock and rolls. (laughs) Right in the front of a crowd of 300,000 people. If you could just place, you know, like if you're a Fabergé egg person. Right. That's where it should go. That's where you would put it. It's basic feng shui. Because you're there. Yeah, and so, so it's going to be safe. You're going to keep it safe. Babies are that's a great place for babies to just kind yep. of be. Uh, if you're a pregnant woman, oh, great yeah. place to be. Right, absolutely. Just be pregnant in the front. Right, way um, up front. Way, way up, front. up front. Any kind of combustive material. Also, that's where you put it. Put it. So put it in a tightly packed room with people. Yeah, yeah. things like that. Yeah. yeah, especially in the direction that they're all facing. Yes. Immediately after all of the drugs have reached the not fun part. Right. So let's, and, let's, uh, let's put it right there. So it won't surprise anyone to know that at a few different points throughout the night, some motorcycles got knocked over. And who saw that coming? That leads not to, a mom in the in the crowd. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> that leads to fights between the crowd and the Hells Angels. And it uh, leads to one of the uh, craziest parts, at least in the early part of the concert, Marty Balin, or Balin, I don't know how to pronounce his fucking name, uh, from Jefferson Airplane, he's the co-lead singer, he sees one of these fights happening in the audience, and he jumps off stage to, like, try and settle it, and instead gets knocked the fuck out by a Hell's Angel in the middle of their set. That's the first real bad moment. Right. That's that's strike one. It, literally. It really kind of sets the tone yeah. for the rest of the I think there's day. also just something about like, oh, we can punch the famous people. Yeah. I think that's once you know, like there's gonna be kind of a mob mentality that takes over. It's like when Wiley e. Coyote looks down. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh. 
Like exactly. I just realized what's possible in this universe. And yeah. Here I go. And speaking of that, during CSNY's set, Stephen Stills was repeatedly stabbed in the leg by a Hell's Angel who had a sharpened motorcycle spoke. See, this is this is gonna be this like, is your shark infested waters line for me. Yeah. <laughs> Like that is like, like there was why, a moat. Why is the concert not over after that? They put up a Hell's Angels moat around the stage. <laughs> just a moat of degenerates. Except it's like if your idea of a moat was just throwing some alligators on the floor in front of you, and then you're surprised when they just turn around and attack I mean, you. It's like, like you're supposed to put them in water. It's like hiring Nazis yes. to protect your show. It like, sure is. <laughs> It's almost literally like yeah, hiring it's like, Nazis. It's like somebody being like, you know, did you see the last four episodes of Breaking Bad? Can we get those guys to <laughs> yeah. protect us during the show? It's fucking insane. And yeah, the show should have probably been over the minute the guy from Jefferson Airplane got knocked out. Like, and for I the- just want to come back to this. Had money been on the line, it would have been. Oh, yeah, probably. And oh my gosh. The thing is, for some people, the show was over at that point, namely the Grateful Dead. And there is footage of this in the documentary. Yeah. They land in the helicopter that was bringing people to Altamont. That's how much of a logistical nightmare getting to Altamont was. Right. Performers had to be moved in and out by helicopter. <laughs> like the Vietnam. Great, the great, exactly. <laughs> and the Grateful Dead, the scene is so great. They land yep. in the I helicopter, they get out. Santana's drummer walks up to Jerry Garcia, uh, the ice cream guy, and is like, uh, hey, the guy from Jefferson Airplane got knocked unconscious by a Hell's Angel. And the Grateful Dead's like, cool, we're leaving. Yep. And they get right the fuck back in the helicopter and take off, which I get it, but also that left a big hole in Doesn't matter. the schedule. I mean, it could have saved lives. I really believe it. Because, okay, so this is my... So oh, I is, think it could have, too. There's a huge hole in the schedule, and in my calculations, this is the part of the drinking that is the least fun part, okay? Because what do you do if you're drunk and you're you're starting to sober up? You drink more. Right. But if you can't drink more, you get you get to become a... You're, you're a sad bear. Oh, sure, sure. You get tired. This is why I don't day drink anymore, because if I... Oh, yeah. If I am drinking at noon by 3 o'clock... By four o'clock, I'm useless. My whole day is shot. Yeah. Unless I just keep drinking. Right. You just keep going. They just kept drinking. But you can't do that if there's no more alcohol or water or anything. So I think the fact that there's no mellow music, there's no like opening your third eye at this show anymore. And now physiologically people are breaking down. It's a horrible combination. And they're (laughs) they're being policed by amped up hell's angels right and i I think where the grateful dead leaving becomes a problem it wouldn't have been if the rolling stones were like all right well we should just go up soon so people don't another moment where i remembered that i don't like the rolling stones because they could have just like gone up and ended the show early before people got even more unruly but instead they wait till sundown and they just let that crowd and all those hell's angels just simmer in their own unhappiness for hours. Hungry. Waiting for the H- rolling. Hungry. Hungry. And tired. Drunk. Drunk. High out of their fucking minds. And finally, the Rolling Stones go on at sundown. But first, 
the Hells Angels do something at the most inopportune moment possible. Because you can always count on your alcoholic, angry white dad to fuck up at the perfect moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is what all of these men are. They're All of them are somebody's dad. Yeah. Hells Angels, definitely parents. Oh, yeah. 100%. Uh, that hate women. Motorcycle gangs? Hey, come on. Get out of here. I know. Weird, right? Crazy. I know. And I I imagine, one thing I forgot to mention, I imagine the band was kind of hoping people would calm down during all this because- uh, they've all eaten? Yeah, they're all fat and happy, except for the fact that the minute they land in the helicopter, Mick Jagger steps off the helicopter and a dude just runs up and says, I fucking hate you and punches him in the face. That is how Altamont starts for Mick Jagger. And still they go forward with like if i'm mick jagger i'm like fuck you motherfuckers i'm yeah. out of here but also not even just that but like uh-oh yeah <laughs> this is gonna be bad this is bad maybe we shouldn't open with sympathy for the devil ah fuck it let's do it uh, but before they open uh their set with sympathy for the devil with sympathy for the devil the hell's angels decide to bring more motorcycles to the front of the stage and they do it by literally driving them through the crowd like moses parting the red sea and the crowd does not like it one fucking i don't even like being on the side of a street when a motorcycle drives past me no no the neighbor across the alley from me has a harley and she will sometimes like let it idle in the alley and i'm like i'm gonna murder you i hate it yeah it's the best South Park episode, in my opinion. I don't... People say things like that to me all the time, and I have to say I don't watch South Park that, that much. I get it. You'd it's like fine. That. You'd I've like, seen... I've watched South Park. La, 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 it's, it's great. It's so fucking obnoxious. I know. I love it. And so, yeah, they... That, that riles the crowd up even more. Yeah. And so now the Rolling Stones start, and they fucking open with sympathy <sighs> for the devil. And one of the first things that happens is a woman named Denise Jukes, who was the lead singer of a local San Francisco band, Ace of Cups, was hit in the head by a beer bottle and suffered a skull fracture, six months pregnant at the time. Why are you at Altamont? I don't want to judge another mom, but what the hell? There were, I think, four babies delivered at Altamont. I believe that. But so, I don't want to be that mom. But. But maybe. Don't go to Altamont. Don't go to any crowded place when you're pregnant no like even disneyland is sketchy to me so yeah it, when their set starts you can see in the documentary and we'll post some clips on on pops.com also because there's a bunch of clips like you can actually watch this whole documentary for free on youtube so good and it is really good you can tell mick jagger is stressed the fuck out yeah. immediately he's not having fun like everyone in the band knows this is a bad scene and yeah. bad things are happening it's like that movie green room, <laughs> green room. yeah <laughs> yeah like, that was one of my favorite movies that year green room's great and they're trying to get through sympathy for the devil a fight breaks out they stop and they're like brothers sisters and like mick jagger eventually calms everyone down which is the perfect time to launch back into sympathy for the devil and they do that and they almost get through it but then another fight breaks out which sets the stage for one of my favorite on stage monologues of all time 
This is Mick Jagger. It's really short. I yeah. promise. No, no, no. We have to. Because yeah, it is we really have to. good. Who's fighting and what for? <laughs> Why are we fighting? Oh, what an Why asshole. Why are we fighting? We don't want to fight. Come on. This is everybody. <laughs> this is every Facebook post from 2019. Who's fighting and what for? It just really does remind me of Facebook. Yeah. Like it just does. Like these people that like still post as if people care and they like start their post. And the feeling I get is like somebody walking in to a room of yeah. people fighting and just being like, guys, guys, <laughs> listen. And then they like post an article. Yeah. It's like, what are you thinking? And it's like, especially in his case, you know why people are fighting because they're drunk and high and mad. That I, you- I think he's such an asshole that he doesn't know. I think that's a genuine question. Yeah, I think he's could con- be. he hadn't been there all day at all. He has no idea. And I know I know for a fact that wherever he was, everybody was lying to him about how great the concert was going. Oh, for sure. So he doesn't know how bad this is or how badly he's messed up. I think this is the biggest problem with certain with a certain level of fame, if you're not careful, people will hide your mistakes from you. And then you walk into shit like this. And miraculously, things calm down for a bit. They play Sympathy for the Devil, and everyone calms down for a bit, but then they start playing Under My Thumb, coincidentally, my favorite Rolling Stones song. It's a good one. I would add that Sympathy for the Devil, possibly the best song of all time, but still not my favorite Rolling Stones song. It's a very complicated algorithm. It's okay. So they start playing under my thumb and two completely fucking insane things happen in the space (laughs) of however long that song is like four minutes for starters. This is standout moment of the documentary. If you watch nothing else easily go track down this clip. Mick Jagger is so very clearly close to getting murdered by a hell's angel during under my thumb and no one realizes it except Mick Jagger. And it is fascinating and scary as shit to watch. We watch it. And we're going to watch it. I know people at home can't watch, but click on the link on the website. And what's happening is this Hell's Angel, who has been tasked with protecting the Rolling Stones, is clearly freaking the fuck out. He's on acid. Like in a scary and dangerous way and he just keeps looking at Mick Jagger. And Mick Jagger's microphone is right the fuck next to this guy. And at one point you see Mick Jagger like walk away and try to tell someone what's happening and no one notices this guy for minutes and it is harrowing. It is um, a good argument for satanic panic. <laughs> Kind of. Like, whatever's no. going through his head is not no, good. It's scary. And it. He's right next yeah. to Mick Jagger. And all these people standing around him are also Hell's Angels. Here, Mick Jagger has to walk up again and start singing. He's like. The, the other thing that's really incredible about this clip is you see how close to everyone they were while they were performing. Yeah. It makes no sense. No. And finally, uh, like this is still going on this whole time. This guy is just standing next to Mick Jagger, freaking out. And finally, Sonny Barger recognizes what's happening and like drags the guy off stage. 
That dude was going to fucking murder Mick Jagger. That's, I'm telling you, this is a Watchmen episode. That's how this, Altamont could have ended. A season of the Watchmen based on a different reading of Altamont by history. Yeah. So there's there's that that happens during Under My Thumb. And then the uh, pinnacle, I guess. Yeah. That's probably not the right word. It's but the peak. Yeah, the, the culmination of everything that happens at Altamont is the death of a guy named Meredith Hunter. 18-year-old black dude awesomely shows up at Altamont in an all lime green suit. Full suit. All day. All day. In a suit. In a suit. Uh, unless he like got there late and managed to get up front. Like, Jesus. I don't know. But probably not. And at one point, this part is real. There's a lot of uh, mystery around why he ends up getting in this fight with the Hells Angels. One of the suggestions is, oh, he was trying to get on stage like everyone else. But there's also some suggestion that he was a black dude with a white girlfriend. That part we know. That's not a Hells Angels favorite And the Hells Angels kind of targeted him because of that. Yeah. And And, and that clip that you just played showed how out of their minds they were. So, you know, it's like, kind of a little bit a little bit on the episode we just released like you just don't understand the insanity that's happening between the ears of a person right and it doesn't take much to set an already unstable person on drugs off and if they're racist which exactly which we know we know the hell's angels are that we know and one like the official version of events is he was being unruly and at one point, the Hells Angels chased him back into the crowd, and then he came back. But the other version of events is he was being... So he was asking for it. Exactly. And But the other version that I tend to believe a little more is that he got in this fight with the Hells Angels and tried to run away, like, back into the crowd, and they went and pulled him back out of the crowd. And... Either way, that point where he gets back to the front of the crowd, there is no disputing. He pulls a fucking gun. He does pull a gun. And you see it in the documentary. They have footage of all of it. It's fascinating. And you see him pull this long-barreled twenty-two. You can see the outline of it against his girlfriend's dress. She's wearing a white dress. Yeah. Impeccably dressed for going to a music festival. Both of them. But uh, It's going to be the saddest part of the movie. Yeah. Because they're like on some sweet date. Right. And you see her after, like in the documentary, they have footage of her uh, and it's tough to watch because he pulls a gun out and you see one of the Hell's Angels pull out a knife and he charges at Meredith Hunter and with his left hand, he like pushes the gun down and then with his right hand fucking stabs him five times you see him get stabbed twice in the documentary and then the like scuffle moves out of frame which is exactly what happens if you hire the hell's angels to protect your show right they're not a security service no they are not bonded they they're not to be trusted like there's so many fucking problems with it and he died from his injuries uh, again, lots of controversy around what led to that skirmish. I tend to believe he was targeted by the Hells Angels more than anything. Like if anything, the fact that he was black definitely greased the wheels for that situation. Right? There's no. I mean, I don't think that that's a huge leap to assume that. Yeah, I I feel like he probably had it gone the other way, and he shot the Hells Angel charging at him, 
I feel like he might have been the one who got off on self-defense. But instead, Meredith Hunter's the one who died. And the Hell's Angel who stabbed him, a guy named Alan Passaro, uh, two years later goes on trial but is found not guilty by Well, because the only thing that's in the documentary is this guy pulling a gun. Right. So we don't know. And I mentioned earlier, one of the most interesting parts in this documentary uh, is watching Charlie Watts and Mick Jagger listen to Sonny Barger's side of the story. And as awful as the Hell's Angels are, like you said, like, what do you expect when you hire the Hell's Angels? And like, let's listen to Sonny Barger. It's such an irresponsible decision. I mean, yeah. it's just, I, I don't want to, sounds like lame, like white lady bullshit, but like. What were you thinking? Yeah, it's fucking insane. And here's Sonny Barger explaining his side of the story. One of the hell's angels, Sonny Barger. If I got that right, Sonny? Yeah. Okay, what's up? I didn't go there to police nothing, man. I ain't no cop. I ain't never going to ever pretend to be a cop. And this Mick Jagger, like, put it all on the angels, man. Like, he used us for dupes, man. You know, and as far as I'm concerned, we were the biggest suckers for that idiot that I can ever see. And you know what? They told me if I could sit on the edge of the stage so nobody would climb over me, you know, I could drink beer until the show was over. And that's what I went there to do. But you know what? When they started messing over our bikes, they started it. I don't know if you think we pay $50 for them things or steal them or pay a lot for them or what. Ain't nobody going to kick my motorcycle. And they might think because they're in a crowd of 300,000 people that they can do it and get away with it. But when you're standing there looking at something that's your life and everything you got is invested in that thing and you love that thing better yeah. than you love anything. This is how world, he, be- this is what he believes. Yeah. To know who he is. You're going to get him. And you know what? They got got. I am not no creep by any sense of the word. No, you're in a gang. Yep. Flower children and this and that. Some of them people was loaded on some drugs <laughs> that it's just too bad we wasn't loaded on because they come well, running off of the hill yelling, hey, on, yeah. and jump on somebody and it wasn't even always jumping on angels, but when they jumped on angels, jumping on angels. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Sonny Barger telling That's his side of the story. number one hit single to come out of Altamont. <laughs> And I was jumping on angels. I had a bike between my teeth. <laughs> between your teeth. <laughs> oh. So that, like, you got to kind of see his point. Like. I did from the beginning. I just think it's a bad idea. Like, you can't. It's like that it, fable about, like, fucking around. Like, you get bit by a snake and the snake's like, I'm a fucking snake, dude. Yeah. Of course I bit you. Yeah. Like, of course the Hells Angels killed a black dude at your concert. They're the fucking Hells Angels. It's like in uh, Jackie Brown when De Niro and Samuel L. Jackson are at the bar and De Niro uncomfortably realized that he had had sex with uh, Samuel L. Jackson's girlfriend, Melanie. Yeah. And he's like, do you think you really trust this woman? And he says, I don't trust Melanie, but I can always trust Melanie to be Melanie. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's how you should be with people. Exactly. Just don't like a baby won't change a marriage. Yeah. If you're dating a guy who's a burnout in the beginning, he's going to be a burnout in the end or girl. Yeah. Listen to the red flags. Yeah. And I get that the hell's angels were like a recent development at the time, but there's look, if you knew Go to, to the h- library, fucking look them up, do if something you knew to hire the hell's angels. You knew what you, you were hiring. Yeah, so yeah. I don't like, 
No. And there's also one thing that's come out in the aftermath of this is, and this I think also speaks to no one wanting to tell Mick Jagger or the Rolling Stones no, Meredith Hunter might have survived if they had just airlifted him to a hospital. But there was one helicopter available, and it was reserved for the Rolling Stones after they ended Strike three. their set. And no one wanted to sign off because the Stones were on stage. No one wanted to sign off on that decision and be like, yeah, fucking get him out of here. And that speaks to the environment that these guys had created. Because like, or also just like none of these people were were willing to be fired over this. Exactly. Yeah. Like you're not willing to be fired over the fact that somebody, that you just let somebody bleed to death. It's so gross. And they actually finished their show, which I do think was probably like at that point, you have to finish. Well, they would have because killed, no, they would have killed them. They it, would have rioted. It would have been a full on riot. Yeah, if they yeah. didn't finish. But yeah, this event, uh, it's not quite as well remembered in terms of things that happened in the '60s because it happens in between two really big things. For one thing, people really underestimate how short lived the idea of us loving each other unconditionally lasted. I like, don't know that it ever like really did anything. Woodstock happened and we were like, hell yeah, man, peace and love. And then 16 weeks later, Altamont was four months after Woodstock. 16 weeks later, we're like, fuck it. Someone's getting stabbed tonight. Okay. Well, I'll offer up a really shitty opinion about that. Okay. Um, if you make something free, you're not keeping anybody out. Wasn't Woodstock free? Uh, it might have been. Yeah. But I think that... If you make something free and you, I think Woodstock had a a much longer marketing lead in. I think the point of it was peace and love. So it attracted people that wanted that. I think the Rolling Stones were putting on a free concert and that just is a different mm-hmm. message. And on top of that, I think that, you know, we live in a world where people are constantly sharing their experiences. I think this was a time where you really feel felt i mean it's funny people talk about oh people have fomo and it's like so much worse i don't know because i i I think the fomo is what people signed up for when they sign up to join the army back then i think the fomo is it was powerful enough to make people jealous of the people that went to woodstock yeah and they wanted to have they wanted to say that they had had a similar experience yeah and that drive was so strong that they overlooked the fact that there were no roads. There was no, you know, I, I just think, and, and I think that on top of that, you have the FOMO of famous people, which is so toxic and scary when it is, you know, unregulated like it was with the Rolling Stones. They wanted to be able to say that they could pull off something similar. Yeah. And. And they couldn't. No. And it's, it's, this is pretty much considered the end of the peace and love movement. The Altamont concert is, uh, but also five months later, Kent state happens. Yeah. Uh, which was the government saying, okay, it's over. No more peace and love <laughs> movement. We will shoot you. We are the United States. Okay. Government. But here's what I'll say like to their, not in their defense. Well, yeah, sure. In their defense, like people roaming around on drugs like that all the time is not great. <laughs> It, well, yeah, but that wasn't Kent State. That was just no, protesters. I, I understand that was them that, shooting it. But they just protesters, picked, they which is like the yeah that's thing bad. a government isn't supposed Agreed. to do. Absolutely, ever absolutely. But, but it's just a bunch of uptight parents that don't know how to handle their shit, and so yeah. they just start punishing people. But we did it. We did, and it. everyone was it's like, over. "All right, I'm not a hippie anymore." Jesus, I get it. 
and they all bought suits and uh, proceeded to ruin the world for the next 10 to 20 years. Yeah, they really fucked up the boomers. Yeah, it'll it's it's going to be the same thing with Trump. Eventually, we'll look back and go, hey, thanks for selling us out and all becoming Trump supporters, people on the left. Mm, interesting. It's coming. But until then, hopefully there's some sort of Altamont by the end of the year. Well, we had, so we can really close out. I think out. we already had Firefest. I think that was. Yeah, we had Firefest. That was, I don't know that we want, I, I think that it's going to be another, like, uh, I think it's going to be another thing that will be similar. And every time something like this happens, there's always this, how could this have happened? Yeah. But it's always just shitty, rich people that are not connected to the human condition that just don't think about certain things. Yeah. Fucking tragedy. But the Rolling Stones. Oh, they were always going to be fine. And they knew that. So that's Altamont. That's uh, 50 years ago <laughs> this month. That's Altamont. And it was all for hippies. hippie de doo does. And then the 70s started. Are hippies up? Like, what do you, what's your read on hippies? How do you feel about hippies? We don't want to get into this. Mm. I feel like, I don't know. I know. Feels like an experiment to me. Oh, man. So the hippies are like a legion of people who've been experimented on or? I don't know. Just a social experiment. Happening in unison or through some kind of microwave? Well, we know a lot of, I didn't want to get into all this, but like Ken Casey, who is a a prominent figure in this whole like hippie movement and especially acid. I know who he is. Yeah. Also had a lot of ties to the CIA. True. And a lot like MK Ultra ran oh, man. parallel to uh, everyone in America suddenly deciding they want to try acid. So MK- I feel like it's not a big leap to no. think the government might have had a hand in making Frying this people? movement happen. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I just I find it interesting to be what we're almost two generations out, actually, from from this. Yeah. We are actually. Um and I was always offended by <laughs> hippies because they made me feel like because I wasn't completely dissimilating myself from healthy behavior for the most part. Right. That I was somehow a sheep or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but like you don't have any good ideas. You just think all of the ideas you've been presented with are bad. And that's definitely right. not helping anyone and they were following leaders too. exactly like any of these i say the same thing about atheists it's like you have a fucking evangelist in your fucking movement too like hearing you talk is like it's it's as annoying as anyone else talking about religion my favorite thing that i learned in college what a great sentence yes um so i was a comparative world literature major and the best part about that was that you could kind of explore whatever you wanted to the idea is just as long as you can link two ideas together critically, then you get an A for the day. You're good to go. So my favorite person that I got hooked into was Samuel Beckett because I thought his plays were fascinating. They're, he is an Irishman, but chose to write all of his play, plays in French because it, from his perspective, was the most clean and simple language. And it was as void from symbolism as possible. His He was a protege of James Joyce, which is really ironic because James Joyce wrote Ulysses and some of the most florid and longest pieces of literature in history. Anyway, so he was um, 
given a uh, a, a Nobel Prize in in literature. Uh huh. And he went to give his acceptance speech, and part of his acceptance speech was basically introducing a this this new theoretical term called concentrism, and he lays out this whole theory about this new linguistic theory and everybody applauds him. Uh And then at the end, he's like, just kidding. It's not real. Nice. And then proceeds to give a lecture on no matter how far you try to go from meaning or how far you try to get out of the canon and in the symbology of people's lives. If you ultimately succeed, succeed in that effort and you do it well, you will be canonized. You will become what you've always hated. And so, to put really simply, you either die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Mm. And that's why I think the hippie that works at the Starbucks that told me my order was yummy the other day is the villain. Oh, yeah. Well, hippies are the villain in general. I can't. I I can't. They gave up. They were never doing anything. (laughs) Well, some were, but they all fucking gave up. They deserved Altamont. It was what was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was the inevitable conclusion, and that is how it concluded. Mm-hmm. Science. Science, baby. Science, baby. All right. We should get the fuck out of here. I'm ready to get the fuck out of here. Hell yeah. Do we oh, have... fuck Sears Raceway. Fuck Sears Wait, Point Raceway? Point Raceway. Fuck Race, Sears... Yeah. Sears Race Point? Well, I've called it Sears Race. Sears Race Point But we both have always hated it. Waypoint Sears? Waypoint Sears. No more fuck Sears. Em. Fuck them. Fuck them, fuck them, fuck them. And their warranty. Also, Altamont closed down in 2008. So don't go there trying to race your cars. It will just be a field. You idiots. Or no, I'm sure it's been developed. Yeah, you can probably like... It's probably like there's like a wing stop. Yeah, probably or like a weed farm. It's Northern California. Mm. It's probably growing hemp. Urban plate is what I'm hearing. Mm, hell yeah uh do we have anything to plug you can follow me on instagram at adam todd brown or on twitter hey follow me on twitter at bossy matilda i really like hearing from you guys so please reach out i like to chat just don't tag our jokes do not tag my jokes but but tell me your life story i'd much rather you literally send me your life story than tag your jokes oh yeah or adam's jokes or yeah any Any of our jokes any jokes uh all right let's get the fuck out of here caitlin say goodbye goodbye Goodbye, everybody. We love you. Who's fighting and what for? Who's fighting and what Brothers, for? Sisters. Brothers, sisters. Who's fighting and what for? We love you. Walking on angels. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh,